wanted to give a quick update on the friend I spoke to during last week's episode. Right after we talked, she text messaged me, thank you for having this conversation with me tonight. I'm so clueless. I feel so comforted after our talk. Uh, Can't wait to try the flirt pole. And I bought some bully sticks already. We'll get lots of toys and I will do everything you said. And then the next morning, she wrote me, I literally just made a maze on the ground with his food this morning. And he was so happy. I should have called you when my kid was struggling in school and was quote unquote bored. He really was bored and we fixed it by packing his schedule with activities. And then about a month passed and I didn't hear from her. And I had sent her access to a couple of our on-demand courses, uh, but I could see she hadn't logged in. And I thought, you know, um, Maybe she did decide to go to the sh- go the, the shock collar route, or maybe they decided to rehome the dog. So anyway, I texted her to check in, and she wrote, Hi, I was just thinking of how grateful I am for your help today. We had a play date with a coon hound. Much better. I did what you recommended with the intro to drop it by throwing hot dog pieces at him. That helped a lot. Mike, that's her husband, occasionally works with him in the field. He, he does... Um, I don't know, skeet shooting, or I don't don't know what you call it, something with guns. (laughs) Uh, Mike occasionally works with him in the field, uh, but has the shot collar on vibrate just to get his attention to come back. He's having lots of play dates with my mom's dogs. So that was really nice to hear, and I'm glad she and the pup and the family are doing well. Tangentially related, if you are in the New York City area and you are trying to figure out how to get some good playtime in for your dog, uh, which is one thing that she and I spoke about last week, do make sure to check out uh, School for the Dogs' webpage where we have information about our off-leash sessions. We have puppy playtimes for dogs under 20 weeks uh, throughout the week. We also have a really cool service, really unique, called Schoolyard, which is a trainer-supervised, members-only dog run. You can apply to join at schoolforthedogs.com application. We have uh, an indoor-outdoor space where we hold it. The outdoor space is covered in case of rain. The indoor space is, of course cool in the summer and uh, warm in the winter and we put in a lot of effort to curate which dogs are there Um, there's a maximum of six dogs and uh, it's a really nice way for dogs to be able to play with um, with dogs that they are truly friends with rather than what happens so often at dog parks where dogs show up and just end up um, trying to play with whoever may be there. Um, I will link in the show notes to the episode I did with Adam Davis, who is our off-leash program manager. Um, But check it out. You can learn more about Schoolyard Puppy Playtime and all of our services at schoolforthedogs.com slash services. My name is Annie Grossman, and I'm a dog trainer. I'm the owner and co-founder of School for the Dogs, a dog training center located in Manhattan's East Village. School 
about dog training, interview industry experts, discuss pet trends, answer questions, and try to communicate my love for all things related to behavioral science. Thanks a lot for listening. I think this podcast will help make you the best possible human best friend any dog could ask for. When I was doing the Karen Pryor Academy, Uh, 11 years ago when I was going through that and going to weekend workshops. There are four weekend workshops as part of the course um, with uh, Steve Benjamin in Endicott, New York. Steve is uh, an excellent trainer. I learned so much from him. I hope to at some point in the near future have him on the podcast. Anyway, there was this one moment um, that really (laughs) blew my mind and it involved a paper plate. So there was another student in the class, there were only three of us, and she was um, struggling to get a lot of reps in a row with the dog she was working with. I I think she was teaching the dog to target something, maybe to target a cone, and the dog was, going and touching the cone and then coming back to her and uh, to get the treat and um, I think she was experimenting maybe with tossing the treat um, so that the dog didn't have to come all the way back to her but she kept talking tossing the treat and then the dog couldn't find where the treat was on the ground and was sniffing around for it and Steve put a paper plate on the ground and said put the treat there so she did and the next trial the dog knew exactly where to go to get his reward and it was just a little moment of it was just a real aha moment for me a real moment of seeing how simple and beautiful problem solving can be when it comes to dog training because it made so much sense. When you're training, whatever it is you're training, you want as much time as possible uh, spent teaching your dog what it is you want your dog to learn. You don't want a lot of time spent uh, with your dog learning about how to find a treat, looking for a treat, chewing a treat picking up the crumbs from the treat. If learning is something that's happening all the time, you want as much of the time as possible focused on the dog uh, learning what you have in mind for him or her to learn. If you are a reward-based trainer, you've probably thought a lot about what kinds of rewards you're going to use and if and when you're using food rewards you've probably thought about what kinds of food rewards you're going to use what is your dog going to like what are you going to be able to deliver quickly and easily what can be broken up into very small pieces what is going to be interesting to your dog but not overly filling etc etc 
Of course, you should also be thinking about how you're going to be delivering your food rewards to your dog if and when you're using food rewards. Now, with dogs, this is pretty straightforward most of the time. I like to keep my treats in my non-dominant hand. If I'm using a clicker, I keep my clicker in the same hand so that I have one hand totally free. Um, but you also might keep your treats in a plate somewhere out of reach for your dog or in a treat pouch. Um, you might prefer having the clicker in your dominant hand. Whatever you're going to do, just make sure to put some thought into it. And certainly you want to make sure that you are not reaching for a food reward or also that you really like don't have it super visible until after you click or use a marker word if you are um, doing training that is going to involve either of those things because you want your dog focused on figuring out what it is that you want, not focused on there's food in her hand, how do I get that food into my mouth? You can get caught in treat land <laughs> that way and our goal is to um, not be luring our dogs here and there with food but to be teaching them how to figure things out so that they hear that click or marker word uh, and then get the reward which may or may not be food and the more you train uh, probably the less food treats food rewards you will use but with dogs the logistics of getting the food into your dog's mouth you know it's pretty simple you're um, either going to be tossing a treat or giving them a treat from your hand to their mouth. You may be using um, a liquid treat dispenser uh, or some kind of liquid treat. We're big fans of these at School for the Dogs. You can get our favorite refillable liquid treat dispenser at schoolforthedogs.com LTD and check out some of our liquable treat options at storeforthedogs.com. But, um... Yeah, overall not that complicated as opposed to training other kinds of animals uh, where it can be far more complicated to figure out how to deliver a food reward. For instance, if you're working with an animal in the wild, you may need to figure out how to deliver a food reward without them perceiving you at all. If you're working with an animal who is much smaller or much larger than you, that can certainly present its own challenges. And uh, there are technologies for delivering food rewards um, to animals who are very different sizes from us. It's the kind of thing that you generally don't think about until you're faced with, <laughs> faced with another species and you have to figure out how to give them a reward, uh, a food reward in an efficient way. For instance, um, in chicken training, which I've done a little bit of, we used a sort of a, a like a measuring cup with a millet, I believe it was, in it, and a clicker attached to the measuring cup. And before we started doing any real training with the chickens, we practiced holding this measuring cup very still at our chest and then delivering it very quickly to a specific spot right in front of the chicken's face right after we clicked and then bringing the measuring cup back to our chest 
holding it very still. There, there is an art. <laughs> there is an art and science to feeding a chicken during chicken training. Now, I don't want to suggest that the what of reward delivery is unimportant. It is very important to be quite thoughtful about selecting food rewards. I also uh, want to underscore the point that it is crucial to think about how you are delivering your food rewards. You want to, like I said, um, be as still as possible, uh, not delivering that treat earlier than necessary. You want to have a plan in place. You want to know exactly where your treats are going to be during a training session. But I want to stress that it is very important and I think um, frequently overlooked that you want to be equally thoughtful about where your dog is going to get their food reward. Now, sometimes you are going to want to reward your dog in the place where you want them to be during training. An example of this is if you are uh, training loose leash walking, we call it the magic zone. That's where you're going to want to reward your dog depending on your dog's height. That might be by your ankle, by your knee, by your thigh, by your hip. I guess it depends on your, your height too. But generally speaking, whether or not you're using a clicker or a marker word, you want them to be getting the yummy stuff in the spot where you want them to be. Um, kind of like with chicken training, I like to have the treat. I often use a liquid treat dispenser when teaching loose leash walking. I like to kind of hold it up by my chest and then deliver it in a very, um, very, what's the word? A concerted, I guess, way or <laughs> very thoughtful way periodically while I'm walking in that specific spot. And what happens is the dog learns to default to that spot, that that magic zone area is where good things in the form of yummy edible stuff <laughs> tends to appear. Sometimes trainers talk about clicking for behavior and rewarding for placement. So you're clicking, if you're using a clicker while you're um, loosely walking or a marker word, you're, you're marking or clicking at the moment when your dog is not pulling and then you're rewarding in the spot where you want the dog to be. You're rewarding because the click is a contract that needs to be followed by a reward, um, but you are rewarding uh, for placement also. You are rewarding in the place you want them to learn to like. You are using that food reward to create a good association with being in that space, in that, in that area. But sometimes you might actually reward in the opposite spot from where you want the dog to be. Often this is the case when you are resetting a dog. For instance, if you want to train a dog to go to a mat or go to a bed, you might toss the treat away off of the bed to reset them so that they then have a reason to go back to the bed. Frequently I will start training a dog uh, to go to something like a mat, I like using like a yoga mat, um, by rewarding on the mat 
uh, after they they go there. I click and treat when they I click when they get there. I reward on the mat, and then I will toss a treat off the mat to reset them. But um, usually, pretty pretty quickly, I will stop delivering any reward on the mat and only will deliver a reward off the mat so that I can get more of those repetitions in. And sometimes I'll even skip giving the mat giving the treat on the mat to begin with. Um, it can be nice to do that in the beginning to again you're you know to create a good association with the mat to encourage the dog to be interested in the mat but in many cases especially with a, a dog who's done more training you can skip that altogether and simply um, deliver the food reward off the mat to reset the dog similarly when i am teaching a dog to look up at me teaching eye contact or attention, I like to reward the dog right in front of me on the ground, which forces the dog to put his or her head down. And then what happens once the head is down? Well, there's nowhere else to go except up. So I'm using where I'm putting the tree in order to uh, really secure the chances that the dog is going to um, do what it is I want, which is look up. Um, likewise, if I want to teach a bow to a dog, which is just sort of the opposite thing, I will reward above the dog's head because that forces the dog to put their head up as high as their head can go. And what is going to happen after that? Well, if the dog is head, if the dog's head is fully extended up, it has nowhere else to go but down. So that gives me a chance to then click the behavior of lowering the head. Now it's not only important in order to refine your training, to think about where you're gonna put the, the food reward. It can also be a way that's gonna keep your dog from kind of like dropping out of school. It might seem counterintuitive, but even in reward-based training, a, a dog can get frustrated and kind of give up. Now, that's one reason why we're always trying to, um, like I, I said, you know, get a lot of reps, uh, raise criteria in very small increments, make sure that we're setting up our dogs for success. But if your dog is having to work too hard in order to find the food reward, they might become less and less interested in training. Kiki Yablon, who I had on a few weeks ago, she posted an example of this recently on Facebook, which I, I thought was great, where she, she said how she really hates it when she's getting change from a place and they give her the bills on her hand and then put the coins on top of the bills. How this, of course, causes the coins to slide off and uh, is not the most seamless delivery of money. Now, every, every person is different. I can't say that that bothers me that much when that happens, but I can certainly see how it might be annoying. And if you are a shop and you're trying to encourage people to come to your shop, you might uh, want to be thoughtful about how you are giving people the cash uh, that they get after they um, make a transaction with you. The cash and the coins, I should say. 
The analogy that I've used many times with clients and uh, and really I think what I thought of as soon as I, I saw Steve Benjamin put that paper plate on the ground was that it's like paying your employees or getting paid by direct deposit. As an employer, Kate and I want our employees to not be spending a lot of time chasing down their paycheck each week. I don't think that that would be a good use of their time and I would rather that they spend their time doing the good work I'm paying them to do. I also think if they had to go on a scavenger hunt to get their paycheck each week, it probably would not endear them to us as their employers. As a former freelance writer, I certainly know what it is to have to chase down people in order to get paid for assignments. And I can think of several occasions where the process of trying to get paid for work that I did was so punishing that I never worked for those people or those places again. So don't do that to your dog. Uh, pay them by uh, direct deposit, um, as it were, whenever you can. Make it easy for them to get their food reward. Use the placement of the food reward to up the chances that you're going to get behaviors that you want to get. And that is the moral of the story here. Next week, I am going to try and do a Q&A episode. So if you have a Q and you would like an A, <laughs> go to anniegrossman.com slash ask to submit your question. If I am able to answer it on the podcast or live on Instagram, I will try to let you know in advance. Thanks for listening. Do you need some help teaching your dog where you want him to pee or poop? And when? If so, I hope you'll check out our brand new, totally free house training guide. You can find it at schoolforthedogs.com house. It's filled with lots of really good tips on how to train a dog to potty in the right spot, but it also is going to explain to you how to teach your dog to do it on cue. So go check it out. Schoolforthedogs.com house. Thank you so much for listening. And special thanks to Bill and Lizzie of Toast Garden for the amazing theme song. You can find Toast Garden at youtube.com slash toastgarden. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping at storeforthedogs.com. And you can learn more about us at schoolforthedogs.com. You can also connect with other listeners by downloading our brand new app, to visit schoolforthedogs.com community.